Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much for coming out to Medic's Behind the Podcast. Sincerely appreciate it. Hope all is well. Hope you're doing fine. If you're working, hopefully you're warm or dry. Got some food in you, some coffee, things of that nature. The important stuff when working on the road. Uh, looks like spring is is finally uh, finally approaching, right? Uh, although I have seen a few flakes falling from the sky today, which, uh, well, you know, it's the zenith of being Canadian, isn't it? Seeing uh, seeing snow when there really shouldn't be any snow, but nah, what are you gonna do? Here we are. Uh, this is an oration episode. I don't have anything to read for you today. Um, I just have some things that I want to talk to you guys about. Uh, just some stuff that was going in my head. I came across a social media post a while back and, uh, like actually quite some time ago, probably three, four months ago, five months ago, maybe. And, um, it was on another site that I follow another paramedic site or paramedic related site. And it was basically talking about, um, being the new guy. And, uh, and it started, you know, in the comment section, there was people talking about the hazing and the little tricks and games they'd play on the new people. And most of them were harmless. Most of them were harmless and, and, and in good fun. And that's fine. That's great. But then there were the more nefarious ones. Then there were the ones that, you know, and, and the conversation devolved uh, into, you know, medics not knowing anything, new medics not knowing anything, schooling being terrible, uh, things of that nature. And, uh, and we really generally do eat our young in this profession, um, especially at times when uh, you'll overhear a new person talking about maybe something they went to that bothers them, a call they went to, uh, you know, something that really has stuck with them. And you'll hear somebody go, ah, you haven't seen anything. Well, you've been in since coffee break. I got more time on the shitter than you got in. Things like that. And, uh, I, you know, I, I'm guilty. I laughed at those things uh, when people would say them, um, not said towards me, but saying to other new medics that came in after me. Uh, um, I, uh, you know, I, I figured it was a rite of passage. It doesn't need to be. It really doesn't. Uh, the hazing doesn't need to be. There is a rite of passage with being a medic, of course, uh, but it's something that happens naturally. It evolves naturally. It's something that you don't really need to force to have happen. Playing little jokes on somebody, that's fine harmless harmless little jokes that's great when you consistently do it and you pick on that person well that that's you know that becomes a whole other ball game and uh so i started thinking about what what it means to be a good medic and how to be a good medic and what you could do as a new medic to give yourself the best opportunity to have a, a good career and uh you know i combined with military service to my civilian paramedic service i have about just just over 13 years uh, as a medic. And uh, and in that time, I feel like I learned a lot. But there's a lot of lessons that came hard and from experience alone. They weren't learned in the classroom. They weren't really anything that I could sort of prepare for. It was sort of just something that happened uh, specifically through experience. And uh, I'd like to I'd like to pass on some things that I have in my head. Now, keep in mind, these are completely subjective uh, things, completely subjective viewpoints. They're not written in stone. They're not written down anywhere except on my notepad beside me so that I can kind of speak linearly about uh, along this podcast. Um, but, you know, it, it's just the little things that came to me over the past few months of thinking about that post and about thinking about my time as a medic, which I so often do. Uh, 
I, I find myself constantly going back and thinking about it. It's, it was a huge part of my life, and uh, and it, and it meant a lot to me. And it also uh, played a massive role in 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 my injury. Um, so I think it's sort of impossible to not think about. It. Now that being said, I'm not so much th- thinking about it in a, in a in a dreadful sense. I'm thinking about it in more of the uh, whimsical sense. You know, I, I think back and I, I think of it fondly. I love this job being a paramedic. I think it's the greatest job that you can have. I, I don't think there's any other job in the world that is as amazing as being a paramedic. And I'll get to that. I'll explain it. Uh, but first let's, let's get on to some of the things that I want to bestow upon maybe a new medic. If there's a new medic listening to this or somebody that's about to graduate or somebody that's thinking about going into the paramedic field, uh, these are my subjective viewpoints. Take them or leave them, take them with a grain of salt. They are just me talking after all. And I am just a guy. So take it for what you will. Uh, I think the biggest thing that any medic, but any new medic, especially can, take with them to be successful in their early days of becoming a paramedic or early days of being hired on with the service, be humble. What I mean by that is when you graduate paramedic school, if you're anything like me, you will graduate with an inflated sense of self. And that comes from a lot of hard work. You know, conceivably being, a uh, you know, in Canada, a paramedic entry level, you're looking at two years of school. That's your beginning entry-level paramedic, you know, primary care paramedic. You are two years of school and then you graduate. And in that two years, it's not really representative of all the stuff we learned. That small two-year program, uh, we learn a lot more than two years really holds. What I mean by that is the, the stuff that we learn is so fast and so furious and so plentiful that two years is not a, an accurate measurement of uh, of, of truly what you obtain in, in that short time frame. So although it sounds short in comparison to that of a master's, and it is, uh, don't sell yourself short. You do learn a lot. But when you graduate and you've, you've passed your practicum and you've passed your, your physical and you've passed all these things, and now you're applying for jobs and you, and you get that job, right? You pass base halls, you got the uniform, and you're showing up your first day of work. Walk into that building. And assume that you know nothing. And I'll tell you why. Because you don't. You have all the tools to be a paramedic. That's what has been given to you. That's what you have earned. You've earned the tool bag with tools in it. And although you've done protocols and, and things of that nature, uh, you you really, you haven't... Yeah. <laughs> you need somebody to show you how to, how to use the tools. And that comes from experience. That comes from working with a partner that comes from working with your preceptor, uh, you know, as a new hire going through your, your probationary period, it it comes from those things. So as much as you think, you know, there are so much more that you don't know. And if you walk in with that mentality of there's a lot more to learn, there's a lot more to digest here. You're going to be a lot more open to not only making mistakes, but learning from them. And you may you may find that you're less hard on yourself for, for making, because you are going to make mistakes. You're going to. Not only that, you're, every person that you work with has a different way of doing things. And when you're the new guy, you're the one under the microscope, not, not that person. And if you're working with a seasoned, salty paramedic that's been on the road for a while and, you know, walks around like he's got a thumbtack in his shoe, 
you're, you're going to be up against some hurdles. And if you walk in with an ego, right, or, or the inflated sense of hero, it's not going to bode well for you, meaning that it's not going to be a comfortable experience. But also, you might miss some things. Because if you walk in too assured of, your, too assured of yourself and your skills, you may miss some things. Be confident. Absolutely. You've earned that. Be confident. Know that you have the tools to do what you need to do. It's just learning how to use them efficiently, you know, skillfully, quickly, rapidly. That's that's what you, that's the biggest thing that I could say is be humble. Walk in and be humble. You know, you don't, when, it, when I say you don't know anything, what I mean is you've never worked for this service before, Right. You don't know how they do things. Even if you did your practicum at that service and then you're lucky enough to get hired on, you still don't know what it's like to be an employee there. You know what it's like to be a student there, and that's fine, but you don't know what it's like to be an employee. There's a bunch of different things that go in when you're actually an employee for a service. So walk in with your head high, your shoulders back, be confident. You're there for a reason. You've earned your spot, but be humble. Be ready to receive more info. Be ready to receive more criticism, more critique. And if you do that, you're already going to be ahead of, ahead of the game with relation to, uh, you know, being being set up for success. So, uh, you know, definitely, definitely do that. Um, that I found for me that really helped. Uh, the military is, is somewhat will help me with being humble because uh, it humbles you very quickly. Uh, and I'll get to that too. Um, the the other piece of advice that I can give you with relation to being new is do the little things. So when you're when you're parked at the, at the station, uh, it's good to follow the cue of your partner, sure, but it's also good to ask them ahead of time of sort of what's expected. Hey, when we're on downtime, uh, what do the soups look for? What should we be doing? All right? Uh, hey, when we have when we're at a station and it's slow, is like is there station duties? Uh, you know what kind of stuff? So if there is, take the garbage out, change the garbage. Wash the truck. Be the one to wash. Now, your partner will likely jump in and help you with the truck washing. At least a good partner will. But do it anyway. Be the guy. You're new. You got to earn your stripes. And there are some things that you got to jump through to in order to get there. And I'm not saying do all the dirty grunt work and nobody else should help you. You should be getting help. But be willing to do it. Uh, the, the, the best way that I can sort of describe that is uh, when, I, when I was in the military and, uh, and I got attached to uh, a combat arms unit for like an infantry unit, for example, uh, you show up to that unit and they respect your title of medic and they respect your position of medic, but they don't know who the hell you are. They've never slept beside you. They've never done training with you. They've never gone on huge marches with you. They've never, you know, in, in the, the most extreme circumstances, never gone to battle with you. They don't know you. So you got to earn their trust. You got to earn their respect. And the way you do that is by chipping in, by holding your own. Now, the best way that I got told, the, the biggest and greatest piece of advice I got told from a senior medic when I was in the army was when you get, when you're, when you're in the order march, it's generally by the warrant officer. Tell the warrant that you'd like to go and talk to one of the, the general purpose machine gunners or the light machine gunners and ask them if they need someone to carry some gear. Hey, I can carry an extra box of ammo for you. Right? I got some room in my Black Hawk bag. I can carry a box. And if the warrant gives you, because the warrant's got to give you permission, he's the, he's the senior. If he wants you carrying extra stuff, he will. If he doesn't, then you don't. But 
the the effort that knowing that you're willing to do it is going to help. It's going to go a long way. Uh, when there's downtime, go check on the boys. Go check on, hey guys, how you doing? The medics generally get to eat first, always. Uh, don't just grab your meal and then start eating it right away. Grab your meal because they're not going to let you not grab your meal. They're always going to, the medic, grab your shit. Grab your shit and go sit down by someone. Don't eat right away. Wait till that person's got their food. Wait till the rest of the boys are eating. That's when you eat. Unless specifically given orders. Otherwise, that's what you do. What I'm saying is just do the little things. The little things that may seem unnecessary but are completely necessary. So washing the truck, uh, you know, making sure that things are restocked at the end of a call. Uh, be open. Communicate with your partner. Ask him things. Right? Be curious. If you show that drive, they're also going to learn to trust you and they're going to say, okay, this person wants to be here. And that's huge. So that for me was was uh, truly invaluable when I got on with with the civilian paramedic service and I was working with a guy, his name was Mike, fantastic paramedic, a seasoned paramedic, but he had sort of this kind of stern disposition to him, uh, very military. And so I was very comfortable with it, but also slightly intimidated. I mean, this guy worked for the tact- tactical department of the paramedics. He was uh, with the, he went in with the the SWAT guys, basically, uh, is, is the layman term for it. But he went in with the tactical police unit and uh, he's a very switched on guy. And so, you know, I didn't want to, uh, I didn't want to screw up around him. He knew that I was in the military. He had time in the military. So he had certain expectations, at least in my mind, I thought he did. So I made sure to be, uh, to be driven. Hey, uh, what do you need me to do? Hey, what, you know, what's this Where You know, when should, uh, when we're at the hospital, you know, should I walk around and ask if, if people need offload, like if, if they need us to take their patients so they can get out of here, things like that. You learn those things, you learn those things as you go, but it's good to, to kind of be, uh, motivated to, to do them ahead of time. It, it will go huge. Uh, it, it will grant you huge favors amongst your peers. They, uh, they'll see it, you know, they, even though you may not get the instant, uh, gratification of of their approval or of their knowledge. Trust me, they see it. They do. They really do. So that's that's the other thing that you should do with relation to do the small things. Um. Uh. The other the other thing that uh, sorry, I'm, I'm reading off my list because I, I wrote down some things. The other thing you should do though uh, is look after yourself, not just physically, but I mean uniform wise. And here's what I mean. Have you ever heard people say looks don't matter? Right. And I understand I'm using it in a different context here, but you hear that phrase, looks don't matter. Well, I'm here to tell you they they do. Looks really matter. Look at any online dating app, the very first thing that pops up is a picture. It's not a profile, it's a picture. Looks matter. They really do. They're not the only thing. And and here's what I mean. If you show up to a call, you're there to look after someone's loved one. If your shirt is stained from rushed meals. It's untucked. Uh, one pant leg is tucked into the tongue of your boot because you didn't bother to tie up your laces all the way. You didn't bother to do the side zip. You're tired. So you didn't put the effort into you know, your shirt or your boots. They're all scuffed and look gross. If you look gross, if you look unkempt, and you're about to touch someone's loved one, I can tell you right now, if I was that, I would have questions. I'd be wondering how good you really are because although you may be an amazing paramedic, I don't know that. I've never met you before. I've never seen you work. I don't know a thing about you. 
So I only go based on what I've seen. And what I've seen is a lazy medic. That's how it comes across. I'm not saying you are. I'm saying that's how it comes across. Looks matter. You walk through the door and they see this person that they've called for help. And here you are, frumpy as frump can be, with your hair a mess. And and you're about to work on their loved one. Why the hell should they trust you? You know that you may be good at your job. Fine. And, and you know, looks don't matter with relation to actually doing the job. I agree. But perception is is a thing. It does matter. So look after yourself because if you put yourself in the in the position of, of a patient, if you say, if if it was your mom that was down or your dad that was down or your your wife or kid or whatever, and two medics walk through and one of them's wearing you know a mismatching shirt, uh, the other one's got holes in it, it's not wow, right? You're gonna you're gonna be somewhat apprehensive, more so in in a already tense and terrible situation. But if you walk in and your shirt is pol- your shirt is ironed and your boots are polished crisply, you know, down the middle, you're, you know, they're untucked or they're, yeah, they're over your boots or they're tucked into your boots, both. I mean, if you look symmetrical and well put together, they're going to assume that if you take care of yourself, you're willing to take care of their, their loved one. It's just perception, right? Look the part. You've got the job. You've got the part. You are a paramedic. Your skill set may be phenomenal, but if you don't look the part, you're already fighting an uphill battle against perception. And why? Why do that to yourself? Just take care of your take. I know it's annoying when you've run, you know, five or six nights in a row of overtime because people call it the last, you know, I get it. I understand the fatigue. I really do. I didn't want to polish my boots every day before I went to work. I really didn't want to. There were times I didn't want to iron my shirt on days off. There were times that I really didn't care about having my shirt fully tucked in, but I did. I made sure it was always done because when I walk through someone's house, the first thing they notice is me. They don't give a shit what's on my shoulder with relation to being an advanced care paramedic or primary care paramedic or critical care paramedic. They don't care. It doesn't matter. Very, 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 very few people are going to even pay attention to those things. Probably the only people that do are the other people in healthcare. That's it. So look after yourself, look after the way you look, look after your equipment, and you're already going to walk into a scene that's chaotic, but you're not going to have to fight perception, right? You're much less likely are going to, much less likely uh, going to encounter that. Do the, do the, do the other small things. I talked about washing the truck, right? That's one thing. Washing the truck is, is one thing for sure. Uh, but vehicle log sheets, they're annoying, they're arduous, they're administrative, I get it. They're bothersome, irksome, loathsome even, especially, you know, with the aforementioned six or seven nights of straight running. You know, I get it. Uh, I hated doing them too, and they seemed pointless. And then the the other thing is too, when you pick up the binder to do it, uh, and and the, the day crew didn't do it, right? The crew before you didn't do it. So now it's even more motivation. Just, ah, fuck it. Because it's harder for you to do it, right? You got to do a little bit more work now. Uh, do it. Just do it. Go through your checklist. Go through your check sheet. Do the vehicle log. Do the the inventory log in the back of the ambulance. Take the monitor through its paces. Make sure you do all those tests. As much as you may do them a thousand times and they're always a pass and the monitor is always good to go, maybe the only thing that you really need to do is restock some ECG stickers or you know change a battery, but the rest of it's always fine. 
always, always do the test, the defibrillation test. Always make sure you do, you know, the calibration of things. Check your your IV. Always do those things because the little things that you do, the more you do them, they're going to add up to the big things. They're going to add up to when you're on a, on a call that seems small where the chief complaint is small. And let's say you look at that ECG. You're going to notice the small thing because you're used to practicing the small thing when you're extremely fatigued and tired. You're doing that that minute thing, that minuscule thing. You're doing that that tiny detail that's going to make or break the call, that's going to make or break the truck. As annoying and tedious as it may be, it's going to it's going to save you in the long run. It's going to save you a lot of heartache and and everything in the long run by paying attention to those minor details. Because you know, especially with ECGs, ECGs take a long time to master. You may have been great at them in school and you may have done fantastic on your written exam to get in, to get hired. And that's great. That's awesome. You're, you're already a leg up of a lot of paramedics to, to be able to recognize ECGs, but it takes a while to master them, to look at those little tiny things. And sometimes you notice things that, that aren't there. Uh, but also outside of that, the uh, specifically with the, say the life pack 15, the LP 15, it only picks up around 60 to 70% of, of all cardiac related emergencies, right? Which is good, but it's not great. It's not definitive. So sometimes you'll be dealing with the patient and you'll have an idea of what you think it might be. And you're waiting to see this mirrored on the, on the printout sheet, the ECG, it's not there. Well, everything else is pointing to this, but the, what the, so what do you treat now? Do you treat the ECG paper or do you treat the patient? You're focusing on the small things, right? So when you focus on the small things, you're going to lead to the big things. Treat the patient, treat the symptoms that you know, treat, go with your gut, go with the things that you think and, and, and go down that modality. See what, see what's going on. You, you look at the small things and then say, with that small thing, you might look at an ECG, your partner says, yeah, yeah, it's fine. Hands it to you. You look at it and you're like, it's actually not fine at all. This guy's pretty sick. Right? Because you're used to doing those small, repetitive, tedious, administrative things. I'm not saying that ECGs are small administrative. I'm saying they're within the same frame. That you use the same muscles. You use the same you know, me- uh, mechanics, your eyeballs. You're using your eyeballs and your hands. You're using the same things to, to touch that monitor. It's the same thing. So if your body gets used to muscle memory, the same as in the military when they teach us weapons handling – it is over and 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 over to the point where you freaking hate the weapon because you know how to you could do it blindfolded. That's not a it's not a myth. You could do it. It happens. You could do it in the dark. You could take your weapon apart and strip it, clean it, and put it back together in the dark. You you get used to doing those small things over and over and over because your your body, you train your body to do it. So if you train your body and mind to do those small, tedious, administrative things that you really don't want to do because you're absolutely exhausted or because it's annoying or you want to skip it because day shift skipped it or whatever the case may be, then you're telling yourself that you can skip some things on calls too. You're telling your body that it's okay to skip those tiny things on calls. Well, you know, I could do an ECG 12 lead, but you know, we're so close to the hospital. Nah. Why? Eh, you know, yeah, I, I did an ECG, but I didn't really bother looking at it all that much. He's fine. Or she's fine, you know, but if you get used to doing those tedious tasks over and over and over and over, it's going to save you on the ambulance. It really is. Honestly, uh, a quick anecdotal for further pontification here. Uh, I had a call one time for, uh, an inner city regular and, uh, 
it was, uh, you know, it was one of the classic inner city rundowns. Uh, and this guy was a frequent flyer, picked him up all the time for story's sake. I'm going to call him Frank, uh, from shameless. Let's just call him Frank. Right. Uh, so we, we pull up outside and from 15 feet away, I know who it is. I could see, even though it's dark and he's silhouetted, you know, he can't see. I know who it is, Frank. Right. So I say, Frank, what's going on? What do you need, buddy? Right. I pick this guy up all the time. He's, he's a regular on, on multiple ambulances. Uh, our platoon knows him very well. I know him very well. Uh, so we pick him up, put him in the ambulance and I start, I, I do a set of vitals. I think I'm doing, you know, my due diligence. I do a set of vitals and by vitals, I mean, I, I did the, the blood pressure. I threw on the pulse ox and I even put a four lead on. Yeah. I put a four lead on cause I was like, I'm diligent. I'm a good medic. So I did that and checked his blood sugar cause he was known diabetic. Sugars were okay. You know, within his normal parameters. His chief complaint was that he didn't feel very well and, you know, he thought maybe he was having a bit of withdrawal. What he didn't, you know, when he said he was going through withdrawal, I failed to ask, well, when was your last drink? I just said, okay, you know, I deal with Frank all the time. He's he's well-versed in his own. Yep. Screw it. So we go to, uh, it's called the Northeast and in Edmonton, the Northeast is kind of a, it is an eMERGE clinic, but that's that's more of what it is. It's more of a clinic as opposed to a hospital. But you could take very low acuity patients there, like CTAS 5, uh, CTAS 4, sometimes. So that's, and again, with diligence, I, I CTAS him a 4, CTAS 4, when I phoned into triage, hey, got a CTAS 4, coming in with Frank, you know, here we go. And, uh, and so I did the paperwork on the way. I already knew his birthday. I typed it into the CAD system, pops right up. Easy peasy call, right? He's alert and oriented GCS 15 the entire time. There's really nothing nefarious that I can that I can see. Uh, certainly nothing pernicious on the four lead. Four lead looks great. He's a little tacky. Yeah, he's he's tacky, but you know he's always tachycardic. You know his his heart rate's always fast. But I I just I let that be my guide. I let previous history be my guide. And uh, we dropped him off at the the Northeast Clinic. I uh, did my paperwork, handed it in, got in the truck, went back into service, started driving downtown. On our way downtown, our unit phone rang, pick it up. My partner, Travis, uh, was driving and, uh, and he picks up the phone and, uh, and pulls over, we start talking. And, uh, it was one of our supervisors, our shift supervisor. And, uh, and he asks who, who did this last call? So Travis like, Oh, that was, that was Maddie. So I, I get the phone handed to me. And uh, turns out the doctor at the Northeast Clinic is furious. He is enraged, just enraged at the paramedic crew, i.e. us, i.e. E.E., me, uh, for bringing a guy that was clearly septic. That's right. Frank was septic. And had I gone through proper assessment, had I gone through and checked vitals, properly including temperature gotten a better history you think it's you think it's alcohol withdrawal well, when was your last drink had i asked that question i would have found out his last drink was 45 minutes before we picked him up and he'd been drinking all day so the chances of it being withdrawal well, are pretty slim so i screwed up i i ate shit on that one because i let laziness and comfortability and complacency lead the way I didn't pay attention to the small things. 
and I certainly didn't go back to ABC. One of those big things that teaches in medic school is always go to your ABCs, airway breathing circulation, airway breathing circulation. But it's it's a it, there's a duplicity to that because as much as they really do mean ABC, airway breathing circulation, they also mean ABC start at the beginning. Always start at the beginning. Always. Every single time you go and assess a patient, start at the beginning, whether you know them or not. Because each time you deal with these people, it could be different. Whether you know them or not, whether they're friends or whether they're just frequent flyers, always start at the beginning. Always. Because as as much as you chances are you're never going to run into anything too sinister, you might. You might run into septic frank. So do the little things. They will save you a lot of heartache and a lot of paperwork and a lot of justification in the long run. So make sure you do them because they they are truly invaluable. Uh, let's see here. As as you gain experience as a medic, you're going to get comfortable, right? And and that's part of what happened with me and Frank. I got comfortable. I <clears throat> I I let myself uh focus and 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 work solely upon my inflated sense of self circling back all the way to the beginning. I wasn't humble. And so I failed Frank and I failed myself. It's one of those things that have bothered me for uh, quite some time. It's a mind like Frank's fine, right? As well, as far as I know, he was anyway in, in the, in the time from when I was working, he was fine, but uh, it was still one of those things that, that bothered me and, and rightfully so. It should because I failed. I let complacency lead the way. I didn't let diligence lead the way. So always pay attention to the small things. Never get too comfortable. Get confident, not comfortable. That's I think that's one of the, if you could put that on a fucking t-shirt somewhere, get confident, not comfortable. That's the best advice that I think I could give in this entire long-winded monologue. Um, the other thing that I, I want to say is that to become an entry level paramedic here is, is two years. It takes two years and it's a very intensive program and, and it's hard. And then to get hired on is even tougher. There's a lot of competition. There's a lot of medics. It's tough. It's hard. But once you get hired on, your education is not over. Now, whether you stay a PCP, primary care paramedic all your career, that's fine. You know, but that doesn't, that doesn't mean your education's over. And it doesn't mean that that you just have to recertify every year, which you do. It doesn't mean that you know when a new protocol comes out, you just learn that. What I mean is, never stop learning. You have you have access to free education for the entirety of your career, because you're going to be working with some brilliant minds, some fantastic paramedics. Sometimes they're ACP, sometimes maybe even CCP, depending on on what skill level you're at and service you're working in. Sponge, be a sponge. Ask them questions. You know, I, I had a, a brilliant partner for a long time. His name was Ryan. And uh, and I used to ask him, hey, Ryan, I noticed you asked this question on this call. Well, why? Why'd you do that? I wanted to know what his thought process was. I wanted to know what he was thinking. I wanted to know what uh, what was going through his mind to to lead him to those line of questions. And he would, yeah, I mean, he was gracious enough to tell me all the time what he was thinking. And and then he would give me books to read. He would say, yeah, I read this book. It was really good. It really helped with, you know, understanding the importance of of history taking and and questions and, you know, leading questions, you know, for for this and this, uh, how to differentiate between this and this. So, 
you have access to, in fact, you're being paid for education because you're being paid a decent wage, uh, here in Canada, especially, uh, a decent wage to be a paramedic. Uh, and you're, and you're working with somebody that, that you can sponge from just, but just be a constant sponge. Always learn when you're in the hospitals, watch doctors, ask doctors questions. Doctors love to talk about themselves, especially when you stroke their ego a little bit, talk to them, ask them questions. And the good doctors and the good nurses, they'll give you stuff to, to nibble on, right? I've, I've heard, I've seen nurses in the triage, uh, when they're doing triage at the computer, they ask certain questions. I'm like, Hey, what was, Hey, why, why'd you do that? Why'd you ask that? What are you thinking? Oh, cool. Okay, great. And, and those things are going to help you. Like they help me immensely specifically, I guess, walking into a scene and being able to go, I'm thinking more CHF as opposed to, to strictly lung here. So I don't know if I want to, I'm not going to give Ventolin and here's why, you know, like, because those are two different, like if you give a CHF patient Ventolin, you've just made your job a hell of a lot harder and you've made that patient's life a heck of a lot more miserable. So if you, if you start sponging from people as early on in your career as you possibly can, it's going to do nothing but benefit you. It's going to do nothing but help you. So do it. Uh, just sponge, 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 sponge. That's the, there's a second best advice I can give you, you know, sponge first is be confident, right? Not complacent. Always be confident, not complacent and sponge. If nothing else, walk away with those two things. Um, so the other, the other thing that I, I think I would probably say, uh, is helpful for, for you to know is, uh, know when to walk away. Now I'm not saying know when to walk away from a patient, know when to walk away from the ambulance, from the uniform, from the job. It's a tough job you guys are doing. It's, uh, it's a hard, hard, arduous, long, tedious, tiresome job. It's a tragic job. It's a beautiful job. I've said it before. It's front row seats to the greatest show on earth. It's just sometimes that show is heartbreaking. So no one to walk away. There's no shame in it. And I know it's hard. It's easier said than done. I get it because paramedicine doesn't really transfer into anything else. And you got to live. You got to pay your mortgage. You got to pay your car bill. You got to pay your cell phone. You got you to eat. You got to live. I get it. I, I really do. I understand that it's not as simple as just walking away, but it's imperative to know when, when you need to, you got to advocate for yourself. You have to. And I, I, I promise you this, there is so much more life to live outside of uniform. The uniform does not define you. The number on your card that calls you a paramedic, it doesn't define you. And when you walk away from from the ambulance, when you walk away from the career, you may hand in the card and you may no longer have a number or uniform, but you still possess a medic's mind. Nothing can take that away. You've earned it. You went through school. You went through mentorship. You went through the good calls. You went through the bad calls. Nothing can ever take that away. Nothing could take away the saves that you've made, the comfort that you've provided, the hands that you've held, the warm blankets that you've got in the hallway for the old lady who's cold and shivering. 
while you wait for bed. There is nothing more magical in this job than when you pick up somebody with dementia and they look at you for that fleeting moment of lucidity and awareness. And what they see is you. They see your face. They see your uniform. So make sure it's tucked in. Make sure it's ironed and pressed. Because when this person looks at you and they see you in that ephemeral moment of awareness and present mind, they'll know that you're there to help. Nothing beats that magic. And nothing will take that away. Even if you walk away. You have to be able to walk away. You have another patient that needs your help. You. You have to make sure you look after yourself. We all have to make sure that we look after ourselves. And we have to advocate for ourselves. And there is no shame in walking away. There is no weakness in it. It's survival. The same as you fight the reaper day in and day out to keep those people alive. You need to keep yourself alive. We're losing too many. Too many of us know someone who has died by way of suicide. A brother or a sister in uniform. We all know somebody who probably hits the bottle too hard. Maybe we know someone who uses drugs inappropriately. God knows that the people I worked with know how often I was hung over at work. But we have to look after one another. And we have to look after ourselves. And part of looking after ourselves is knowing when to walk away. Our uniforms, when we get them, they that too is a magical day. You get this uniform and you look at it and you see this tightly woven shield on your shoulder. I promise you right now that shield is not made of armor. It is not made of Teflon. Your uniform is made of thread and fabric. Your body is made of flesh, bone, blood, and sinew. All of which are susceptible to injury and tear. So when you walk in on your first day, humble, with your uniform tight and your boots polished, and you're going through that checklist on the ambulance, in preparation for that first call and you're talking to your partner about ECGs or haloperidol or Ventolin, Epi, 1 in 1,000, 1 in 10,000, learning, sponging. Just know that you come first, always first. You can't help anyone if you're the casualty. It's one thing they taught me in the army. When we were doing our training for pre-deployment and they, they did an exercise where uh, a friend of mine, another medic, they simulated him being hit by an IED. And I had three instructors yelling at me. Two of them were telling me to run out and get him. And they were yelling at my ear. They were 
slapping my helmet and they were screaming and yelling, telling me to go get him. And the one voice was telling me not to go get him. And I wanted to run out there and get him. And I tried. And all of their hands grabbed me and stopped me at once. And they ceased the exercise for a moment. They brought us all in, round circle. And I said, Hannigan, you were going to run out and grab your buddy. What happens when you get shot? What happens if there's a secondary IED? What happens if they have wounded him on purpose for the sole purpose of luring you out? Not only does the unit now have two casualties, they have no medics. You can't run out and help someone if you're about to be wounded yourself or if you are wounded yourself. You have to make sure everything is safe and making sure everything is safe with as it relates to being a paramedic. I mean, scene safety is paramount, but you got to make sure your headspace is safe. If you're struggling, if you're in pain, if you're, if you're, you know, hurting, tell someone. There's no shame in it. We need to get away from that. We need to get away from the, you haven't seen anything yet because you know what? You could be on the, jo- on the job for one day and you go to that one call. And you've seen enough. There's no shame in that either. It's a tough, tough job. And you guys that do it, you ladies that do it, no doubt you're heroes. Without a doubt, without question, inarguably, you are heroes. But you're not superheroes. You are born from the earth. Susceptible the injury rips and tears so be humble that is the best advice I can give you be humble and be kind to yourself and to others and know that when you walk away or if you need to walk away no one can take away what you've done and what you've done is nothing short of fucking brilliant So if I can leave you with this, it will be to be well, to be safe, to be kind, and keep talking to each other.